All right, so I'm going to preach to you today a message that God gave me called Wreck It. And it's in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So while you're finding that, I'm old school. I use the King James Version. I grew up with my grandparents. They're like really southern. Grew up in North Carolina. They always use the King James. So I grew up listening to them. They use the King James. In Bible college, we use the King James. So if you don't use the King James, that's fine. But I'm going to read to you from the King James. Mark 2, chapters one, verses 1 through 12 says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. Insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. If you don't know what that means, that means we've never seen it done like this. We've never seen anything done like this. God, I pray that you would be with me today. God, that your words would come out of my mouth, that it would be a message that these people can receive and take with them. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Come in and wreck it. Amen. Amen. So most people, we've all heard this story, right? We've all heard this passage of scripture. And a lot of people focus on the part where the man is healed. We're not going to focus on that part today. We're going to focus on something different. So you ever know if you've heard me preach before, I always say that there's, if there's one thing you've got to know about God, it's that you serve a God that is not dead. You serve a God that is living. So if God is not dead, then your prayer life shouldn't be dead. If God's not dead, your worship life shouldn't be dead. If God's not dead, you should be going out and telling people about the gospel. Because if God's not dead, you are the reason. You prove that God is not dead. Just by being alive, you prove that God is who he said he is. These other prophets that you read about, Muhammad and Buddha and everyone else, they got put in a grave when they died. And if you go to their grave, they're still there. But when they put Jesus in the grave, three days later, he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. He's not in that grave. You can go there and look. He's not there. All the other prophets are still there. So if it's one thing you have to understand about God is that God is a living God. And if God is a living God, he's also a moving God. What do living things do? They move. Even if you're just breathing, you're moving. There's parts of you that are moving. If you look at a rock, 
A rock is not living. A rock doesn't breathe. A rock doesn't move. A rock, unless someone moves it, is going to stay in that place for the entirety of existence. But you can move. And God has never stopped moving. From the beginning of time in Genesis, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. And in Revelation, the God says, John says to close the book, but even so, come quickly. So all throughout the Bible, God has been moving. God is not idle. He doesn't sit. He's constantly on the move. And if God is a moving God, then it only stands to reason that Jesus is a moving Jesus. His ministry was always on the move. If you read the Gospels, Jesus was never in one place for too long, was he? He was constantly moving from place to place. It was never still. He had a mobile ministry. Because Jesus knew that if you're still, you can get stuck. Right? Sometimes the devil doesn't need us to move backwards. He just needs us to be stuck. Stuck in one spot. If you're stuck, you're not moving. If you're stuck, you're not making any progress. You got to keep going forward, even if it's just a little bit. I have a, my dad's family has a cabin up in northern Wisconsin. It's on a lake. That's really neat. I used to spend like all my summers there. But there's a saying there that it's don't stay stagnant. You got to keep moving. It's in the north woods of Wisconsin. In the north woods of Wisconsin, there are a lot of bugs. There are a lot of giant horseflies. There's deer flies. There's black flies. There's every type of fly. And we know it in Florida. We have mosquitoes. There's mosquitoes up there too. If you're just standing there outside when the sun is going down, just standing still, you are a target for those mosquitoes, right? So what do they tell you? They tell you keep moving, right? Because it's harder to go after a moving target. In Wisconsin, they tell you, if you're in the lake, don't just stand there and tread water. you got to keep moving. Because if a fly, a giant horse fly, sees you just standing there, they're going to zone in on you. And you're, then you're going to have to go underwater and stay there for five minutes because they track you. It's bad. Flies in northern Wisconsin are bad. So you cannot stay stagnant. You have to keep moving. So the devil knows that. He knows that I, if I can just get them stuck in one spot, not moving, even if you just move your little toe, that's still progress. The devil does not like you to make progress with God. He wants you in one spot or he wants you moving backward, but he does not want you going forward. So the next time the devil tries to tell you you're stuck, you just say, devil, look, I moved one toe. I moved one toe. I moved a millimeter. I'm still moving. I'm still making progress. God is still allowing me to make progress. I am not stuck. Oh, church, you just missed a second to give God some praise that you are not stuck. If you are moving forward, take five seconds and give God some praise that he doesn't allow you to be stuck or backwards. So Jesus was always mobile. He went from city to city, and each place he went, something there changed. In the gospel, you don't read about Jesus visiting somewhere, and nothing happened. Everywhere Jesus went, something changed. If there were blind people there, the blind would see. If there were deaf, the deaf would hear. If there was a lame, the lame would walk. If there was a man that was demon-possessed, the demons would flee. Just from Jesus being there, 
stuff changed. Stuff happened. That's why we have to understand that Christianity, this thing, we're Christians. It's not designed to be a monument. What does a monument do? Does a monument move? A statue, is it going to move? Is the Lincoln Memorial going to get up and walk? No. Christianity wasn't designed to be a monument to Jesus. It was designed to be a movement, a mobile movement, going from place to place, spreading the gospel. God gave you feet for a reason. He gave you feet. He gave you a mouth that moves. He gives you hands that move. Even if you can't use your feet, you still got a mouth that'll work. So God gave us feet to move, to spread the gospel. So back to our text. Jesus visits the city of Capernaum. And we're just going to hone in on that for a second. Because it says this one word, and again. It says that he showed up again. That means he's been there before. Lots of places Jesus would go and then leave. But Capernaum was a place that he kept coming back to. So Capernaum was a place that Jesus inhabited, not a place that Jesus just visited. Just like God. He doesn't want to just visit you and then leave you. He wants to be in your life and stay in your life 24-7, 365. God is there on Monday. He's there on Tuesday. He's there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He is there every day of the week because he wants to be inhabited. He wants you to house him, to be inhabited. So you say, Pastor Randy, well, how do I go from, how do I know if God's visiting or if God's inhabiting me? When you let go of your own preferences and opinions and seek God's presence. If you're all about God, I know you don't like to hear me say it. <laughs> God will stay when he can have his way. God's just going to visit if all you're concerned about is, well, I don't like that song that they're singing today, or I don't really like this message that the pastor's preaching today. So that's God visiting you. God will say, oh, well, I'm just going to move on. Don't be the person that God says, I'm going to move on. They're not accepting my presence. They don't want me to inhabit them. They can't let go of their preferences and their opinions about something. It should be all about him. It should be not about you at all. Who cares if they sing Amazing Grace or some Hillsong song from the radio? The point is it's still praising God, and that should be what matters. It's that word in your heart that he loves, not the sound of the guitar. You want to be inhabited by Jesus, not just visited. So Capernaum was a place that Jesus began to inhabit. The people were responsive. He went. Every time he went, things changed. Don't let your preferences, your personal preferences, keep you away from a move of God. Throw what you want out the window. Throw it out. And try raising your hands up in worship instead and see what will change in your life. You know, sometimes we only worship whenever God does it the way that we think he should have done it. If you have a problem and God does it, takes care of it the way that you think he should have, you're all about praising, right? Yes, God, thank you, God, I praise you, God. But if he does it in a way that you didn't like or he's going a roundabout way, are you still going to praise him if it takes a little longer? You know, God is so funny. He'll do it differently 
the way that you, the opposite way from that you think he's going to do it, just to prove that he's God and you're not. Because if he does things the way you want them every time, you can get, get in danger of thinking, oh, well, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. But if it's a roundabout way that all these crazy things happen and things end up working out in the end, you know that it was God. And he'll do things like that to make you uncomfortable. So you have to rely on him. So you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, without God, I would not have been through this. When you're driven by the presence of God, your pursuit becomes God. So I have a, a puppy. She's six months old now. She's a border collie. Her name is Skye. And if you know anything about border collies, they're super, super intelligent. This dog is literally, she's genius dog. I'm serious. Should we have like a carabiner holding her playpen together, her and another puppy that we have? And it's metal, and it has a little, like, sliding latch that you have to slide. And she's watched me do it every day to separate the two puppies. And last week, I'm sitting there on the couch, and they were separated. Five minutes later, the thing is unlatched, and they're playing together. I'm like, what in the world? The dog had figured out. She's watched me so much. She used her paw and undid the little thing, like you would undo a screw trying to get something out. So this is a smart dog. She's also a herding dog. Border Collies were bred to herd sheep. They could go, they can run 18 miles a day, go so the farmer sends them up the hill, tells them to bring the flock back, they'll be gone all day and bring those sheep back. So knowing this, I take my dog sheep herding. I take her to a sheep farm up in Fort Pierce. So that's her element. She's, I put her in the presence of sheep and ducks, because she herds ducks too, because she's little. But she's in the presence of those sheep. She could sit there all day and not do anything. It's only when she pursues one of those sheep, she hones in on, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is all I can think about. If you try and get her attention or get a squeaky toy, because she loves squeaky toys, and she's going after those ducks or those sheep and rounding them up in a circle and staring them down, because that's what they do, her pursuit is so oriented on those sheep, she will not do anything else. That's like God. It's a lot easier to find God, to see God, to feel God, when he's all that you're looking for. So when you're in church and when you're worshiping, you should be pursuing God with all your heart, not thinking about, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. Amazing grace. Don't do that. Don't be singing. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, I didn't really like what I had for dinner last night, so I'm going to make it up with a good lunch today. That's not pursuing God with all of your heart. When you're worshiping, when you're in church, when you're praying, even at home, your pursuit should be 100% on God. But a move of God, God can be moving. But it's not just about the presence of God, but the awareness that God is there. God could be all around. And if nobody feels him, if nobody is aware of his presence, seeking out his presence, what's the point? That's a place that God will visit, not inhabit. 
We have to be people that are actively pursuing God all of the time so that his, when his presence comes, we can pursue. He can be our number one focus. And then God will show up in a mighty way and do great things. So don't miss out on a move of God because you were unaware of his presence. That's why it's so important that you spend time in prayer, that you spend time reading your Bible and studying it and hanging out with people who are like you, filled with the Holy Spirit, because that just makes your awareness of the presence of God that much greater, which makes your pursuit that much greater. So Jesus shows up, and someone, someone in this whole town of Capernaum was aware enough that he was there to make some noise. Right? Jesus could walk in, and if nobody knew who he was, he could have just gone about his business and stayed at someone's house, and nobody would be any wiser. But maybe it was just one person. That's all it takes is one who says, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. I'm going to go tell everybody Jesus is here. And when Jesus is here, stuff happens. Lives are changed. People are set free. Demons flee. People are healed. All it takes is one person making some noise. So I can just picture it in my head. When I read the Bible, I, I picture it. This one person, like telling his neighbor, hey, Jesus just walked into town. And then they tell someone, hey, Jesus walked into town. Go, go find Jesus. Go. And then suddenly the whole town is mobbing this one person's house. Can you imagine if you had a whole town in your house? Remember, houses back there weren't that big. So they have all these people in their house. But what's interesting is the people who made the noise, they're not even mentioned by name. But don't you think thanks to them that all these people showed up? Sometimes you have to forget about dropping your own name and speak about the only name that matters. Because when you get to heaven, it's not going to matter if so-and-so knows your name or so-and-so knows your name. What's going to matter is how many people did you tell about Jesus? Jesus is the name above every other name. Your name is down here. Jesus is up here. The goal of this whole Christianity thing is to know Jesus and make him known to others. So... Is it really a move of God if you're the only one who knows about it? Don't like that, right? If you're the only one who knows about it, if that one person who saw Jesus come into town kept it to himself, what do you think would have happened? Maybe something would have changed for him, but look at all those people who would have been left out. God heals you, but you don't testify. God saves your family but you don't testify. God delivers someone from addiction, but you don't testify. God saves your spouse. God heals your friend, but you sit there and you keep quiet. So many people do that because, I don't know if it's because we're afraid to tell somebody. We don't want to be looked at strange. We don't, that's what the Holy Spirit's for. Pray to God. God will give you the strength. God will give you the courage. Our power is in our testimony. The devil does not like that. The power of your testimony. God will do it to you so he can do it through you to help somebody else. 
You just missed a second to praise God for that. God will do it through to you so he can do it through you to somebody else. If you've been healed of depression, God will use you to speak to others about depression so they can be delivered from that ailment. God will do things just to give you power of your testimony. That's why the devil hates every time you share your testimony. Because every time someone hears, you say, I used to be here, but with Jesus, I'm over here. But with Jesus, the devil does not like that. So every time the devil's trying to attack you, you just say, nope, I used to be here. Jesus brought me here. I'm not stuck. I'm not moving backwards. The devil hates the power of your testimony because your testimony is your ministry. When God wants to move a city, he'll always find a house. I'm not talking about this house. You know, we call the church the house of God. God will use this house. But the first house isn't the church. It's you. Once God fills your house, then he can fill this house. Then he can fill the city the house that's the city, he can fill the world, but all he needs is one house. One house. Are you that house? Can you be that house? Are all your preferences thrown aside and you're saying, God, let me be that house that starts it. And Jesus goes into Capernaum knowing, I need a house. He found a house. And once he got in the house, the house got full. Doesn't that always seem to happen with Jesus? Every time Jesus goes somewhere, it gets full. Why? People come to the presence of God. If there's a revival going on, like when Brownsville was happening in the 90s, people came from all over the world. Why? Because they knew that the presence of God was there and the house got full. When there's a real move of God, it's hard to tell where the house walls are and the people end. A real move of God breaks down barriers. Race doesn't matter. Social status doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus. So when there's a real move of God, when there's revival, it's not going to matter if you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian. That's not going to matter. It's not going to matter if the richest man in the world can be sitting next to the poorest man in the world. And that's not going to matter. All those barriers are going to be gone because the only thing that matters is Jesus. So Jesus comes into this house and it's full because those people started making all that noise that he was there. And you better believe that when Jesus is there, people probably were running. If it was me, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were in that town and someone said, hey, Jesus is here. Would you walk like this or would you run? I would run to make sure I got a front row seat. So Jesus is in the house, and he started to preach. Can you imagine that? He says he started to preach the word. The word, preaching the word. I, can you imagine? They probably had church. The word of God, preaching the word. When there's a real move of God, it's not about just being noisy, but what you're being noisy about. Because we can all be noisy. Anybody watch football, baseball, basketball, hockey? I love hockey. And when there's a hockey game on and my team is doing good, you better believe that I'm cheering for that team. 
If you're watching a game or go to any sort of sporting event or anything, and you're cheering someone on, you're loud. You're not going to cheer them on like this, right? No. If someone scores a touchdown and it's the Super Bowl and they just won it, you're going to scream, you're going to jump up and down, you're going to shout. Why is it so different when we praise God? Why don't we do that when we praise God? God's much better than a touchdown. He literally saved you from hell. If that's not something to shout about and jump up and down about, then we need to change our priorities. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 10 seconds to get up, stand up. If you want to sit there and clap, you go ahead. But why don't you take 10 seconds and praise God, shout, and make noise like he did something for you, like you did something. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. There we go. He saved you. He brought you out. We need to praise him like that. Not just when we watch a football game. God should be more exciting than a football game to us. He should be so excited. That's why if you go back in the kids church, that's why we're doing this whole be a rooted kid for a day. We teach them to be excited about God. So they'll dance and they'll praise and they don't care who's watching. They might not be able to dance at all, but do they care? David danced naked before the Lord. It doesn't matter. I mean, keep your clothes on, please, in here. But if you want to dance, go for it. Be noisy about God. Don't just be noisy about the things of this world. That's what separates your noise. It's who you're being noisy about. And don't get caught in the trap of people who worship, worship. People do. They worship, worship. Learn the word, not just the lyrics to a song you hear on the radio. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tested by the devil, did he pull out a lyric that he heard on the radio to get the devil to flee? No. He quoted the word. When the devil, when you are under attack, you can't pull out something that you hear on the radio and expect the devil to flee. Pull out the word of God. And if you have that word in your heart, the devil will flee from you. Don't throw your hands up during worship, but sit quiet as a mouse when the word is being preached. Don't be a Saul. What do you mean don't be a Saul? Saul could soothe his demons, but he could never cast them out. He couldn't cast him out. Saul became a worshiper of worship. But Jesus didn't come so you could just soothe your demons. He didn't come so you can come to church on a Sunday and a Wednesday and think, okay, all right, I'm good now. I'm in church. And then you go out, and maybe the next day you're fine, but here come those demons again. Wait, 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 there's two more days of church. Okay, Sunday, I'm good. Monday, Tuesday, oh, no, it's going bad again. Good thing there's church on Wednesday. You're soothing your demons because you're worshiping the worship. You're getting that soothing feeling, but it hasn't penetrated deep down. That's why you need the word. That's why you need Jesus. You can sing the songs, but if you don't know the meaning behind the songs, what power do they have? That's why we can't be worshipers of worshipers. We need to know the word. Jesus didn't come so your demons could be soothed. He came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly, not just soothing. Abundance, abundance. So Jesus preached the word unto them. 
I can only imagine how great that would have been. And then the text does something different. It kind of shifts away from the house. You'd think that, okay, we'll hear what Jesus is preaching about. No. Who knows what Jesus was preaching about that day? I'm sure it was great. But the text flips. Even with the church going on in the house, all those people, there was still someone on the other side of town who could hear it, but he couldn't respond to it. Someone whose circumstance prevented him from getting there. And that is the problem with so many people. They hear it. They hear it. They hear the word of Jesus. They hear about church, but their circumstances prevent them from getting there. So it says there is a man who is sick with palsy. So palsy can actually mean two things, if you really dig into what it meant back then. Palsy can mean that you're paralyzed. You're stuck. You can't move, right? You can come to church and still be stuck. You can. You can be in church and still be stuck with something. Palsy could also mean extreme movement in one part of the body. So 99% of you is good, but if you got a finger that's shaken uncontrollably, 99% of you could be all out for Jesus. But you got that 1% that's still looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at, that's still saying things you shouldn't be saying, that's still hanging out with people that aren't good for you. That still you're clicking on stuff on the computer that you shouldn't be, even though you're in church on Sunday, but Monday you're doing that. You're sick with palsy. Might not be the first type of palsy where you're paralyzed, but it might be the part where you got that 1% that is sick with palsy. And that's how a lot of people in our world are. We do. We live in a broken world. But Jesus has the power to heal palsy like he did with the man in this story. Are you a person that can hear the cries of those people that are sick with palsy? What do they sound like? You hear it. You don't hear them say it out loud. You hear it in your spirit. They're saying, can anybody help me? Can anybody get me to Jesus? I've tried all this stuff and it doesn't work. I'm still sick. Is there anybody who can get me to Jesus. That's why we're doing VBS. That's why it's so important because when we drop off these kids that we pick up every week, I hear them. Can anybody help me? I'm sick. I need to get to Jesus. That's why I'm so pushy with you being involved in VBS because we have kids all around this city that are sick with palsy and it's getting younger and younger and younger. You don't see it in the back, but we have kids who are seven or eight years old thinking about harming themselves, committing suicide, getting in trouble in school, cursing. It's just commonplace. They're sick with palsy, but inside they're crying out. I need Jesus, but I need somebody to help me get there. So look within your spirit. Are you the type of person that can hear the cries of those that are sick with palsy? They're those that are lost, and they can't get there on their own. 
like this man with palsy in our story. He can't walk up and get to Jesus on his own. He needs help. But be aware that when someone is telling you about their problems, you know, how many, have, how many people have people that at work or wherever, always come up to them and tell them all their problems. Anybody have people like that? Always oh, constantly telling you their problems. But keep in mind that when someone is telling you all their problems, it's only because they see you as part of the solution. They see you that you can be their way to Jesus. Their mind may not see it, but their spirit does. They hear your story. They hear you talk. They see how you're living their, your life. They're thinking, how do I get like that? How do I have that kind of joy? How do I have that kind of peace? How do I have that kind of spirit about me? They need Jesus, but they're sick with palsy. And they're coming to you because they see you as part of that solution. Then the text says, and they came bringing the paralyzed man. And it says that he was born of four. And if you really look into the background of this text and pick apart the words, which I like to do, because I'm really like analytical like that, the man is the fourth of the four. The paralyzed man is the fourth. Now think about it. He's laying on a bed. Think of a bed. One, two, three, four. Okay, but the man is on the bed. One, two, three, four. They're still missing a side. Have you ever tried to carry something that has four corners with only three people? And this is like a grown man, so it's not like it's a little baby. They need someone else. And it was probably his brothers carrying him, right? They're trying to get their brother to Jesus. They need someone that's outside of the family. Someone that's not in their inner circle. Someone else had to come help. Someone else had to be part of that solution to get that man to Jesus. That's why people keep, we pray for a mighty move of God, but you can't be inconvenienced to go pick up your neighbor for church. People want a move of God, but we're not picking up the people that need Jesus the most. God is looking for people who will pick up the edge of their bed for their neighbor in order to get them to Jesus. That's what we're trying to do with this VBS. We're saying, I'll pick up the corner for you, little kid. I'll pick it up and bring you to Jesus. So now, there's five men. One, two, three, four, five. Five in the Bible is the number of grace. So when the fifth man showed up, grace showed up. When you say, what do you mean five is the number of grace? Five days of creation before God put man on earth and saying that he would complete the work. Five books in the Pentateuch that let people know that there would be law, but after the law that there would be grace. Five wounds in Jesus' body where the grace came out. Five pints of blood spilled for the redemption of your sins. Five for the five-fold ministry. All these things having to do with grace. So now there are five men. Grace was there. Where would you be if the grace of God hadn't shown up in your life. Did anybody drive a car to church this morning? Even if maybe, you know, sometimes when you start it, the ignition doesn't start and it turns over a couple times. Anybody drive a car? Church? You're here by the grace of God. Anybody have dinner last night? By the grace of God. Anybody take a breath this morning? 
by the grace of God. So where would you be if the grace of God was not in your life? The grace of God comes to carry the man. And grace doesn't just pick you up. It comes to take you. The men, can you see them? They're walking by grace. They're carrying this man and they're walking. Walking by grace, walking by grace, walking by grace. Grace takes them to the door. It took them all the way to the house. All the way to the doorstep across town into the presence of Jesus. So they think, great. We're at the house. We can get the man in. But what does the text say? When they showed up at the door, the man was blocked. Isn't that funny that every time you get close to a miracle, sometimes you get blocked? They're blocked by all these people. Sometimes the devil doesn't need to send a circumstance. Sometimes he just has to send a person to keep you blocked. You know how easily influenced people are by people? One person to get in your head. One person to influence you. One person to keep you stuck right there in the doorstep of Jesus' presence but not crossing the threshold. People can get your attention away from God. We don't think it can happen to us, but it can. So grace got them to the doorstep. But faith would get them through. When grace runs out, that's when faith kicks in. Faith will always find a way. Faith isn't just going to leave you here. Faith is going to take you to another level in God. If you look in the Bible in the hall of faith with Abraham and Noah and David, they were alive by the grace of God. They did things by the grace of God. But it was their faith in God that took them to a separate level, that allowed David to defeat Goliath and flee King Saul and all these things. Faith that got them through. So here's these boys carrying their paralyzed friend. They're at the doorstep. There's all these people. They can't get in. And they're saying, we didn't come all this way to stop here. That's when their faith kicked in. And they're looking around. They're looking around. There's no windows, maybe they can't get in. There's people in the windows, so they look up. They see a roof. But, you know, they didn't have elevators back then, so can't put the man in an elevator and take him up. There probably wasn't a good set of stairs, I'm sure. They had to probably climb this house or a little ladder to get this man to the roof. Can you imagine how much faith that takes? To push a paralyzed man, because he can't help, push a paralyzed man up to the roof of the house. And they're probably thinking, okay, we'll get him to the roof, and then we'll have to figure something else out. They could hear Jesus preaching, but they're still stuck. Because they get to the top of the roof. There's no hole. There's no skylight. There's no attic window. They're stuck again. They were stuck on the other side of town. He was stuck at the doorstep. Now they're on the roof by faith, and they are still stuck. They can hear what Jesus is preaching. They can hear everything going on, but they can't get to him. Yes. Sometimes we're still, we're so close, but still stuck. By faith, 
they decided again, we didn't come all this way to be stuck on the roof. So what did they start doing? They took it off. They started wrecking the roof. They started wrecking the house. They were pulling it off saying, you know what? Here's another one. I'm going to get you to Jesus. You're going to get to Jesus. You're going to get to Jesus. We didn't come all this way. The grace of God got us here and faith got us up here. We're going to keep pulling off the roof. So tear the roof off until you're healed. Tear the roof until your family is saved. Tear the roof until you are delivered. And don't stop until you are unstuck. What if you tearing the roof off makes the way for someone else's miracle? Those boys weren't tearing the roof off for themselves. They weren't wrecking that house for themselves. They were wrecking it for their friend or their brother. So what if you doing the work in your house, wrecking your house, letting God wreck your house, makes the way for someone else's miracle, for someone else to get to Jesus? Isn't that worth it? All right, this is my last point. So there's still one person missing from the story that completes it. What do you mean? We have Jesus. We have the the boys. We have the paralyzed man. But there's still someone missing. And they're not mentioned. But where was Jesus? Jesus was in a house. Someone had to own that house. And there's a lot of debate on whose house it is. Maybe it was Peter's. Maybe it was somebody else's. But in my mind, I like to think that it's maybe a little old man and a little old lady who worked so hard all their lives to make their house perfect. They had the perfect stuff inside. They had the perfect walls. They had the perfect roof. So can you imagine this little old man hearing all this stuff and suddenly lights coming in where there shouldn't be light coming in? And he walks outside and he looks up and sees these four guys and a man in a bed on the roof ruining his house, wrecking his house. You imagine like, what are you doing? I've worked so hard to make this house perfect. And now you're wrecking it. You're tearing it apart. And I hear them saying, this man needs to get to Jesus. He's paralyzed. He's got palsy. What do you, he needs to get to Jesus. He's got palsy. He's got palsy. We can't get in the door. Faith brought us to the roof, but you don't have a window on your roof. So our only option is to wreck it, to get him in, to get him to Jesus. You go ahead, boys. You go ahead and wreck my house if it'll get this man to Jesus. Take it all off. Take it all. Because my version of perfection isn't God's version of perfection. It took hard work, probably, to get the roof of that house just right and perfect. But to get that man his miracle, go ahead and wreck my house. We need God to wreck it to wreck our house, this house, but our house, your house. Get rid of our perception of perfect completion and let God wreck it so he can ready it. Would you stand with me? Let God wreck you 
so he can rebuild you and he can use you just like the roof of that house. If those boys hadn't tore up that roof, they would have still been sitting there. If they didn't have the faith to say, we came all this way. We just need a little more, a little more. We're going to start tearing it off, tearing it off. We're letting go of this perfection. And the owner of the house probably said, go ahead and wreck it. Wreck it for this man. So look at your life. Look at your house. Are you sick with palsy? Maybe it's just that 1%. 99% of you is all for God. But that 1% is still sick with palsy. Do you hear the cries of those who are sick with palsy who need Jesus? Can you hear them in your spirit? Does God need to wreck your house for you or for someone else? Does he need to wreck your house so that your family can be saved? Wreck your house until you're delivered. Wreck it all the way down until there's only him that's left. So there's no doubt in your mind that it's God who did it. So give God the opportunity right now to wreck your house. You pray by yourself that God will wreck it. Tear the roof off. Tear the roof off. Make some noise and bring the lost so that when they see your house, when they see what God has done in your house, they'll say, God, wreck my house too. Wreck it. Wreck it. God, I pray that you would wreck the house of these people here today, God. Take the roof off, God. Wreck it until they're delivered. Wreck it until their spouses are saved, God. Wreck it. Wreck their idea of perfection and their preferences and their opinions, God, until nothing but you is left, until they can get to Jesus, God. And not just them that gets to Jesus, that by wrecking their house, they bring others to you as well. So, God, I pray that you would wreck it right now, God, in this room. God, have your way. Holy Spirit, come in and just wreck everybody right now for your glory. Just like the paralyzed man, God, sometimes we need someone to help us. Sometimes we can't do it on our own. We can't get there on our own. That's why we have people who've already been wrecked by God to help us, to bring us to God. God, I pray that you would wreck people right now, way down deep in their spirit, down deep in their core, God. That 1% of palsy, God, wreck it right now. Tear it down. Tear it off and throw it away, God, and replace it with something of you, something impenetrable that cannot be shaken, God. God, I pray for everyone in this room right now that you would use them, that you would deliver them from any palsy that they have, God any afflictions, anything that is preventing them from being 100% in pursuit of you, Jesus. God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We thank you for using our house to reach those that are lost. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys.
Remember, if you give me like five to ten minutes, there is a VBS meeting in the fellowship hall. If you're not involved in VBS, I encourage you again, come out to our meeting and you'll see the wonderful things we do and why we do VBS so we can hear the cries of those that need Jesus. Thank you, guys. We'll see you Wednesday. Um, let me say something real quick, guys. Let me say something real quick. Just to know, Maddie, her heart for God, her heart for the children, her heart for people knowing the Lord, we all have, we both have that same fire and desire. Some of you in there, Ed, some of others that really want to see people get saved. This message was meant for you to hear, to get out of being com comfort, because God talks to our hearts, and I know he does, about those that are hurting and need the Lord. Man, just let God wreck your life and change things in it for his glory. Praise God. Can we, can we, let's, let's pray again. Father, we, we just thank you for Maddie. We thank you for the word that you've given her, Lord God. We pray that our hearts receive that. Lord, move us out of our comfort zone and move us in the zone you want us to be to see lives changed, to see hearts changed. Lord God, show us the heart of those, not their faces, but show us the hearts of the lost or the hearts of our brothers and sisters that need to be encouraged in you. Lord, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.